The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. The season of Epiphany is a time that the church throughout the centuries, uh, the church has used this time throughout the centuries to reflect on aspects of the manifestation of Jesus and his ministry to the rest of the world. That, in fact, is what the word epiphany means. If you translate from the Greek, it means manifestation or showing forth to the world. Last Sunday, as you remember, we celebrated the feast of the epiphany. And as you also remember, the epiphany story features the wise men coming from afar looking for a child who they had heard had been born who was king of the Jews. Now, these wise men are important not only because they starve in our Christmas pageant, but also because they were, according to our tradition, the first Gentiles, which is to say the first non-Jews to acknowledge Jesus as king. And their recognition and worship of Jesus was the first step in showing that God's purposes in Jesus were meant not just for a few, but for the whole world. We might say that starting with the incarnation of Jesus, the enfleshment of God that we celebrate at Christmas, we might say that the epiphany is a continuation of the bridge that God is building to span the gap between earth and heaven, between the human and the divine. The Epiphany season is short this year because Easter is so early. I don't think Easter can be any earlier than it is this year, March 23rd. So we have just four Sundays of Epiphany. We can have as many as seven if Easter is late. But this year we have just four Sundays to ponder what some of the different aspects of Jesus' manifestation to the world are. Over the next four Sundays, we'll see Jesus being baptized by John, that's today. We'll see John the Baptist reiterating that, yes, in fact, Jesus is the one that we're waiting for. We'll see Jesus on the third Sunday of Epiphany calling disciples, another aspect of the message going forth into the world, preparing disciples to go out and teach and be taught. 
And finally, the last Sunday of Epiphany, we have the Transfiguration, where Jesus and a select few disciples are on a mountaintop, and Jesus is transfigured, takes on a form that they, the disciples had never seen before. And again, to reiterate for them and for us that Jesus is the Promised One. So we have four Sundays in this uh, Epiphany cycle this year, um, where we'll learn more about how Jesus manifests himself to the world. But first, this morning, we start with the Hebrew Bible. If we look at the lesson from Isaiah that we heard this morning, we see evidence even before, hundreds of years before Jesus, of God seeking to bridge the distance between God and humanity. Now, the context is this. The context for this reading from Isaiah is this. In the 6th century, which is to say the 500s before Christ, the Babylonians came in to Israel and plundered Jerusalem and carried a good number of the Israelites back to Babylon. It was a horrific story and uh, event in the life of the people of Israel. Uh, Pivotal, you might say, in the life of the Jewish people. While some had made the adjustment to life in this new land of Babylon, they find that they are being called back to the land where God had first intended to bless them. And they'll need a leader to help them get there. And the leader that God will send will, in this endeavor, be both mighty, but also a servant, both gentle and powerful. This would be a leader with power of a different order, committed to justice and liberation, but not to conquest and military might. This leader would be energized and grounded because God's spirit would be upon him, a spirit that comes from God and would lead that leader into leading his people. Now, not surprisingly, from early on in the history of the church, followers of Jesus began seeing in this Hebrew Bible text, Jesus. Now, we need to remember that in the early church, in the first century and second century, really up until the fourth century, the 300s, there is no New Testament as we understand it today. Uh, Paul's letters start getting circulated around the year 50 or so. But there's no New Testament as we understand it today. So the Bible of the people of Jesus' time was the Hebrew Bible. Jesus' Bible was the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. So that's what Jesus' first followers had. And when they saw Isaiah, and they saw its description of a man, likely a man, a leader, being anointed with God's Spirit, they looked or remembered their experience with Jesus, and they said, that's the guy. That's the guy. Now, Jesus' baptism, at which we learn that he receives God's Spirit, is recounted in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each with its own variations and emphases. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record God's words as the Holy Spirit is descending Onto Jesus. In Luke and Mark, God's voice speaks directly to Jesus, 
You are my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It's almost as if Jesus, in his humanity, needed that extra reassurance that he had what it took to be who God was calling him to be. In Matthew, God's words are recorded as thus. This is my son, in whom, with whom I am well pleased. As if Jesus already knew, but those around him didn't know. And they needed to be convinced that Jesus was the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who was going to lead God's people. Now this is in keeping with one of Matthew's aims, which was to use the Hebrew Bible um, as uh, proof, or to use uh, the Hebrew Bible as proof that Jesus was the one. All kinds of texts are found in the Hebrew Bible that point to Jesus as being the expected Messiah. Now, we might ask, if Jesus was the chosen one, the Messiah of God, why did he need to be baptized? Why would Jesus need to be baptized? And you recall in the gospel that we just heard, John has the same reaction. He says, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Now, apparently from the Greek verb tenses here, this, this little uh, interchange between Jesus and John the Baptist can be seen as kind of a um, repeated action in the past. Something like this. Jesus comes to John and says, Baptize me, John. And John says, I can't do that. Baptize me, John. Really, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Baptize me already, John. <sighs> okay. So there's this kind of... Um, tension between the two of them that uh, perhaps reflects a couple of things. One is the history of um, the religious movements that they both were a part of. John, as scholars tell us, John the Baptist clearly had a movement around him of uh, rejuvenating and uh, refreshing Judaism uh, of the first century. Jesus clearly had a movement around him that was looking to refresh and rejuvenate Judaism of the first century. We might even uh, not only call them parallel movements, but perhaps in some sense even competing movements within Judaism. The Jesus movement eventually prevailed and eventually grew into the Christian church, but the history of that Jesus movement needed to take account of the very important role that John had played in Jesus' life. They were cousins, after all. And uh, the teaching that likely moved between them. So the, the gospel accounts needed to somehow honor John the Baptist and his disciples while also making clear that it was Jesus' teachings and Jesus' way and Jesus' leadership that prevailed. Theologically, if the church makes the complicated and paradoxical statement that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. Then, at some points in our teaching and discussion about Jesus, we emphasize his humanity, and at other points, we emphasize his divinity. 
Now, in the Christmas story, in the incarnation, I think we emphasize the humanity of Jesus. We emphasize that he came uh, in a stable, in a, in a humble place, that he was a baby, that he had a human mother uh, who bore him. All the physical, fleshly, earthly aspects of birth, even though the claim is that this child was fully God, we emphasize the human aspects of his life. And the epiphany lessons, I think, kind of build on the humanity of Jesus. So, in insisting that he receive John's baptism, Jesus, in yet another way, forges solidarity with the human condition. He doesn't need to be baptized. He chooses to be baptized in order to fully, fully make himself in solidarity with the human condition. Put another way, in order for people to identify with Jesus as the Christ, Jesus first identifies with them. And you can imagine, you can imagine a scene sort of very particularly right there, the River Jordan. It's probably not a big gushing river with rabbits and stuff. It's probably kind of a, I've never been there, some of you probably have, but it's not a big mighty river, I don't think. It's kind of an ordinary place. Um, you can imagine crowds around there, um, the smell, perhaps the, the sound, the chatter. What is this about? Who is this? Some who know why they're there, they want John's baptism. Some skeptics, some um, scoffers. The whole range of humanity there in the smells and sights and sounds of humanity. And there's Jesus among them in the same boat in the same shoes, one of them and one of us in his humanity. As we go through our days, fast forwarding a few thousand years, leaving the River Jordan and coming to Concord, can we imagine Jesus walking the same streets that we walk, the same sidewalks, Jesus in our places of work, Jesus in our homes, in our bedrooms and living rooms, in our schools. Can we imagine Jesus looking with us ahead to our future, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our plans? Can we imagine Jesus walking beside us as we look backwards, as we look at our past, at our history, at our disappointments, at our joys? Can we imagine Jesus with us in all that we are. In that act of imagination, I think we do our part in welcoming the bridge that God continues to try to build toward us. If the incarnation is an example of the bridge that God is building toward us, if the epiphany is another example, an icon, if you will, of the way God is trying to build a bridge towards us. In our acts of imagination, in imagining Jesus with us in all aspects of our life, then we can do in that way our part in meeting the bridge that God continues to seek to build towards us. Amen.